I know you I know you opened right didn't you work with Trevor Noah for a bit or something oh yes yes we used to we used to he used to have a late night show here in the country so mm-hmm. we did it together uh, I did the cool. sketches on them but yeah so whenever I'm over there I'm there with him so I get to hang out that's, with him and that's great I read uh, I read born born a crime I, I, I really enjoyed it um, you enjoy it yeah, I liked it a lot. I mean, I... It's sad I, to say you enjoyed it because it's a sad story, but... No, but I, I was expecting it to be a typical comedian's coming-of-age, how-I-got-here book. Okay, yeah. And it was so much more boots-on-the-ground, this yeah, okay, is what South Africa is like. And that's what I was happy about, you know? Because I've read okay. so <laughs> many comedians' autobiographies, and it was... It, it it didn't even it didn't even get into his success, which is a very yeah. humble feat from someone so successful. Absolutely, so, nothing, nothing, nothing in the world makes you realize that things are not in place like a Zoom call. Like, whenever you're on a Zoom call, you're like, Shit, "Is that what's going on behind me?" <laughs> no, no. Did you follow that guy, the New Yorker writer, who you know has dick out and? Got in big trouble. What happened? So, I, I honestly, I mean, I don't really understand. It, like, he was on a meeting or something, and, and he had his, his dick out. And it's like, I don't know if he was masturbating or just, you know, really careless. He claims he thought his screen was off. I've never come within 100 yards of making that mistake. <laughs> like if there's if there's if if we're here right now like this and maybe the two of you started talking and I didn't need to speak for a while yeah there's no moment where I'm like this is a good time to take my dick out you know <laughs> I'm so, I don't I don't get that I don't know why he like you got to leave the room like why risk it you know <laughs> I think he's just, he's just a closet exhibitionist. I think he wa- he he's always wanted to do it. It's like perhaps that scene uh, in uh, I don't know if you've watched uh, Silicon Valley. Yes, I love that show. I think it was the first season where they were negotiating deals, right? For them to be for the and then the guy kept on going. We must just go there and just become assholes so they want us more. <laughs> then we were like, I've always wanted to just put my dick on the table and see what happens. <laughs> I think this- I think this was that moment. He was like, if I don't do it now, I will never do it again. I, I agree. I agree with you. I feel like uh, I feel like he, you know, you have to wonder if he is an exhibitionist. Like, was he sad that the first time happened via, virtually? <laughs> you know, like, was there going to be much more of a thrill for him? He's like, well, I, I wish we, I could do this in a room with somebody, but desperate times, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I wonder what happened to him. What 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 happened to him? He's 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 on a a, a forced like leave of absence. I mean, I I can't imagine he's gonna come back. You know. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> that sucks for him. So how how have things been for you since uh, since the corona? I think it's a standard question to ask. We we almost we always t- check the temperature of every yeah. guest by asking them how are you doing because you know we have we have to know i'm i'm fine um i i was always somebody who in you know as a stand up i had a lot of other things that i i always tried to keep a lot of irons in the fire and um i found that with with when once sort of stages went dark uh it it just forced me to pivot my focus towards some of these other things that I've, that I've always worked on or, or have wanted to work on. Um, and so I've been really doing a lot of like long form writing, you know, pitching some, some TV ideas. Um, I have some, some things that I'm just like, you know, hoping, hoping we'll continue to move forward, but you never know. Um, and I've always had my, my job, which is writing for grow Bible. and, And I'm very grateful that that, has you know kept me sane because having a commitment each day and and everything else means that instead of waiting around until seven o'clock to do your spots you're 
you know, you're occupied. Um, and I, I genuinely worry about the sanity of people I know who, for whom that like seven to 11 PM window in New York was, was their whole day of work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say what lockdown has done for people, it turned them into social activists. It turned them into part-time lawyers because all of a sudden everyone knows everything about the law. <laughs> you go, people have turned into chefs. Mm. Uh, they've turned into uh, uh, gym instructors, badly at that, I might add. And they've also turned into political analysts. I'm, I'm surprised about how many, how many political views people are expressing with authority. You know, people don't even go, what I think. They just go, what it should be is. Yeah, this is it. This is the fact here. This is the truth. Um, yeah, did you, watch, did you watch The Social Dilemma? I mean, I feel like it's almost worn out at this point to, to cite no. that movie, but I, the, the, the piece that really stood out to me was the, the siloing of information and how, you know, you hear people say, like, how could anyone ever see it any other way? Are they not seeing these same facts? And the answer is that they're not, right? So if two different people in two different parts of a country are presented with entirely different sets of facts, you can understand why, you know, they would think, well, this is the only truth I know because I've never seen the other side of it. And, and they're, those are irreconcilable, you know, parties basically. And you said, you said a key thing there. you said they are presented with different forms of information within the same country. So you can yeah. only imagine when you separate people by continents, right? what kind of images and, and information you can put out there. And I always say to people that I chat with, I, I go, we have sort of somehow become experts in, polit in American politics overnight. Mm -hmm. But by mm -hmm. overnight, I mean, since the coronavirus, you know, we, we sort of turned your country into a reality TV show and we keep asking the audience members, how are you feeling? And they go, I'm in studio. How do you think I'm feeling? Right. <laughs> well, let me... Let me ask you this because I'm I'm very curious. I'm very curious about this. Are you're in South Are you in South Africa? Yeah. So when you like all right, right now in Azerbaijan and Armenia there is a war that is being waged and it's over you know as you probably know like a very small mountainous area. Um, Turkey is getting involved and Gr Greece is like getting involved and it's a very hot area that could explode with broader implications at any minute. Yeah. That whole story gets at best a half paragraph in our leading newspaper, the New York Times, maybe every two or three days. Yes. And I'm wondering if in South Africa, you know, how much does like Donald Trump and, you know, our Supreme Court Justice nominee, Coney Barrett and election stuff in America, how much does that garner uh, the attention of South African media and news outlets? I, th I think social media, it does does that more than mainstream news because in, in mainstream news in our country international news is five percent of a news bulletin so we only see what happens in our country then in the continent and then the other five percent is the rest of the world but i've noticed that it's because we only get american news that we get here is cnn right so we get al jazeera we get bbc sky on pay channels and then we get cnn but we don't we don't so on cnn it only takes from watching a few minutes that you understand that they're pushing a one-sided agenda. And right. only when you are online and you see the amount of footage that you see from Fox, it's actually crazy. So right. if, you, if you live online and you, 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 you're looking at Instagram and Facebook and uh, Twitter, you're seeing more Fox news than anything else. So mm -hmm. I think we've gotten to a point where, this is just me, I think we've reached a point where the fatigue of trying to understand how the American political system works. We've reached that fatigue now because when you watch shows like Explained in, uh, on, on Netflix, you get to understand that elections in America are not as simple as they tend to be in other countries, right? Mm -hmm. So what we do is start having opinions. And all the people that advocate for Trump as a human being more than what his policies are. Because a lot of people, 
that know about him outside of the US or who are not political heads. They always think about the kind of flamboyant character that he was when we used to watch him on reality TV and obviously the sound bites that CNN tells us we must listen to. But then when you look at the snippets that infiltrate to us on social media and you see the Tucker Carlson going on a rant for 10 minutes, you know, without mentioning Trump or showing a picture of Trump, then you go somehow, somewhere in the psyche of the normal human being, you start humanizing Trump and you start going, what is the problem, right? Although you know the problem is glaring and he's divisive, you go, okay, I hear that he's glaring and he's divisive. But remember that for people that live in the Middle East and Africa, we've always had leaders like that. Yes. That's why we've always been coups and dictators and, you know, democratic elections. And I always go to people, haven't we reached a point where we, the world, are becoming the same as what we used to say America was in the 90s or throughout time when with Saddam Hussein and all the other dictators that they've uh, toppled because the people in that country seem to have been fine with the system. But for them, for, the, for America, who seemed to at that time representing the whole world said, we don't want this guy. So I say to people, if, if people vote for him, who are we outside to say he shouldn't be in power, right? Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah, you don't see, you don't expect that. <laughs> you, you'd hardly think that, you know, if Trump were to win re-election, that the Vietnamese would somehow come in and be like, we don't like this guy, you know. <laughs> like, I don't, I just... <laughs> You know, just, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't see that happening. But it's yeah, a great, but so sorry to cut off. the world want. Yeah, but he, here we are, Francis, all the way in South Africa, wherever. We are sitting here going, Trump must never win the elections. But I'm like, what policies does he put into place that affect me directly? You know, if, 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 yeah, if I mean, something... I, I think he, it's as simple, like, the, the simple answer is that, you know, he he basically created a list of countries from which you know, immigrants cannot travel to the United States. Uh, and obviously South Africa is not on that list, but <laughs> Iran, you know, I, I, I have a friend, I have a friend who uh, is married, married an Iranian woman yes. and they had to change, they were intending to have the wedding in Iran and uh, they had to change everything. And they, they, they were like close. And then Trump put Iran on the, you know, not welcome list. Yeah. And so everyone feared, like her entire extended family was here in the United States and they feared that if they went to Iran to this wedding, they wouldn't be able to come back to their homes. So they had to change the wedding and had it in, in France where it was like more, more you know, romantic. Oh, yeah. Sorry. More like the middle ground. <laughs> you know? So... I mean, things like that. I, you know, that's pretty, that's, we, I'd never seen that before. So I always go, the, the conversation about American elections for me is always depending on who you're talking to. So if you're talking to immigrants, they have their own axe to grind with his policies and they won't focus on anything else. If you're talking to African-Americans, they're obviously talking about, obviously, ill treatment that happens to African-Americans regarding police and law enforcement. When you're talking to rich people, they think about how it's going to benefit them in the long run with their businesses and tax and all of that. Then you go, I always look at America and the world does as well. And even Americans inside look at it like, I always make the analogy of it's Disneyland that has all of a sudden put a hype and age restriction on rides that people enjoy. So yeah. people go, hey, I love this country because I can just come in. The only thing that's affecting me is the fact that I just, I just can't come in here anymore. Other people are going, no, we actually been killed by a system that's not being stopped by someone in charge. Other people are going, I've got millions of dollars stashed somewhere. Is this guy going to protect my money? So everyone here is in this queue to get on this ride. And there seems to be a hindrance. And there's a few people that are just the right age and the right height that skate through. And those are the people that are not saying anything. Those are the people that are going, oh, really? Is it that bad? And I think they've also learned just to agree. Because I was saying, if remember that with any oppressive system, you need people who are complicit with the system. <clears throat> but also remain complicit anonymously. So if you are in, 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 in Manhattan and you confront someone about voting, do you really think they'll say they're a Trump supporter? But when they reach the ballot box, they will express themselves there. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't necessarily mind that. And let yeah. me qualify why. Um, yeah. 
per, I, you know, I, the fact, like democracy in and of itself is the right for, for everybody to have a vote, right? Absolutely. And I think you can extend that to say that everyone has the right to vote and they also have the right to not tell people who they vote for. Yes. And there's a reason why voting booths have sliding curtains. <laughs> like their dressing rooms, you know? It, it's, there, there should be some privacy. I don't like the question, who are you voting for? Yeah. I don't wanna be asked that. I think it's a personal choice because the moment you say that, then people make all these kinds of extensions or extrapolations from like, well, if you're voting for this person, that means you don't care about abortion rights. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, whoa, hold on a second. Like, Did we don't get ask me, you know, I. I I think that people should be allowed to vote, you know, secretly. And and I know that people asking me that question, that my answer, you know, inevitably, I'm going to vote for Biden, would would make them happy. Like, usually the people who are asking me that question, I would give them the answer they want to hear, but I'm still not going to tell them. Yeah. You know, I, because it's like, none of your fucking business. Like, I, I you know... Why, why, don't, don't, don't bring that up right now. I don't know. That's just how I feel. I, yeah. It's almost I, like we, we, we cherry pick the parts of democracy that we like. Yeah. And then we put away the ones that we don't like. So if we, and it's okay to disagree with a leadership. I, this goes for any country in the world. It, it, by the mere virtue of the fact that there's an opposing party whenever you are voting for someone or electing someone to power, it means that people that are going to be displeased, that's, it's by simple virtue of the entire system on its own. But we've sort of in the world agreed when you adopt democracy that you'll give the person a chance. You don't have right. to like them. But I, I look at the people that are against regimes and I go, this is just a question now. Does, does the fact that you didn't get your way during the elections make you as bad as the person that you were against the last time that you were in power? Does it make sense? Because ultimately yeah. it's a battle of ideas. If you, if you elect a representative that represents your ideas, you're in the pound seat, so you're happy. And everyone else is just making noise and getting in the way of the person that you've elected to get things done. So when right. the shoe's on the other foot, I've never seen <clears throat> such civil unrest and aggression mixed together, mm -hmm. right? When it comes to a battle of ideas. Right. Yeah, it, that's a great point. And I think, unfortunately, um, I'm 31 years old, and for the vast majority of my life, at least for the, the period of my life where I was awake enough to follow the news, uh, we have seesawed between presidents, you know? So it went Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump. And in each change, yeah. The, the the side that does not have the presidency has yeah. said that the president is the worst person of all time. Yeah. And you you lose credibility like my par my parents lost credibility. Like I didn't trust them anymore when they said that Bush was, you know, the worst president ever yeah. and then they were we were we were bowing down to Obama. Yes. And then, and then Trump came, and now he's the worst president ever. This is the worst time in American history, and it's like, well, I don't know that I believe that. Just feels too extreme. It, it couldn't it, because I, I remember that during the Obama presidency, when I met Republicans, who, you know, they 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 spoke of him the same way that we had spoken about Bush and Trump, and. Democrats would just say, like, would write it off as racism. And it's like, well, then what is it when you hate Bush or, or Trump? Um, and I don't know how far back you have to go. I guess Reagan, I don't know, maybe Clinton was like a little bit more appealing to both sides until he had his affair or whatever. But <laughs> like Reagan, Reagan in his reelection year won. 49 out of the 50 states. I mean, it was the biggest landslide victory. So you have to think there was at least a, a pretty broad consensus that this guy was doing a good job as president. And I, I'd love to experience in my lifetime a president 
that both that like even even the losing side can at least be like eh he's not who I wanted but he's not such a bad guy you know that, like that's what I want that that will never happen I what I figured Francis is any 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 leadership in politics is is a is a is a is a memory and fantasy game sort of mm-hmm. where people are creating an expectation for themselves and when the person gets into power they almost expect to be disappointed remember that there's always people that are disappointed with the person they've elected you mix those with people that never liked the person in the first place and then you get this weird mix of anger and aggression for one person then when you're looking in from the outside you go if i hear so many diverse and different voices going against this one person it must mean they must be bad but you go no you don't you take for granted that there's people that are coming on have just now in the four years of him being in power have just come in vote, into voting age you know they're just old enough now to vote there's people who are unhappy about how their vote went when they gave it to him and there's people who never liked him in the first place but there are people who are getting converted to his side as well like that's what the the, the whole logic of it whenever you're watching a one-sided news is do you ever tell me about the person that likes him yeah I, it's a good point and i i do wonder you know it, it's funny to me look when i think it was when obama was running against romney yeah in uh, what was it like 2012 for obama's re-election mm-hmm I think the country, at least most rational people understood that here were two pretty good candidates. There was yeah. no, there was not fear that the result of the election would spawn riots and civil unrest and, you know, you better, better bunker down on November 2nd or whatever. And like, that's what you're hearing right now is like, get supplies so that on election night you don't have to leave your house for a few days you're kidding dude it's it sounds like you the know purge. mad max fury road out there like, the purge. like what's that the purge sounds like the purge yeah yeah exactly and i it's tough because i get ex- so i get excited about election <laughs> night like you know, I'm thinking about like what hors d'oeuvres am I gonna get, and <laughs> like you know what si- what type of cheese should we have? Like, should we have people over? And it's like, no, dude, get your gun, get, your, down. get a gun and toilet paper, and fucking <laughs> lock everything you have. Oh <laughs> uh, God, it sucks, man. I, I I love voting. Democracy's great. You know what I mean? Like. It's fun getting a little sticker and uh, and letting everyone know, like, I voted, you know? It's like, it used to be fun. When I turned 18, I was more excited about being able to vote than, than, I guess, buying cigarettes or pornography or whatever. Really? You were excited about actually getting out there and casting your vote? Yeah. To me, that felt like, um, it felt like I was finally a a citizen of my country. Uh, Like, I had grown into my citizenship, in a way. And that I was now trusted to take part in, 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 you know, in the equity. I was like a shareholder of America, in a way. Um, I felt like I was on the board of, of the country. And it was fun. It was exhilarating. And also, not for nothing, being the first presidential election was Obama, you know, that I could vote in. And, I mean, I was just so excited about him. And young people were so excited about him. So maybe that was part of it. But... Man, I, it's crazy to me. I, I go back to that Romney election, and I, it's, I remember that there was a good amount of undecided voters yeah. heading into November. Yeah, and, the swing voters, right? The ones yeah, where everyone was trying to get at. Yeah, and people were watching the debates because they mattered. And nothing like there have not been undecided like people have had their minds made up for this election it feels like since before the democratic nominee was was decided yes um and that's that's sad that's sad that it's like it's It's that triated you know it feels almost like a grudge vote right 
Yeah, yeah. It feels like an obligation all of a sudden. Um, and I'm going to do it, but, you know, I'm not excited about voting this election. Whenever you watch the debates, do you, do you listen to the guys talking about their policies? Because every time I speak to Americans, I'm like, what are the policies of the, per of the two candidates? If you can just state three clear policies of the candidate. And I, people struggle, you know? And it, it's gotten to a point where African-Americans are like, we just want to vote in someone who will not enable an aggressive police force. Is that too much to ask? And I go, well, look, it's not at all too much to ask. It should be a given if you live in a free society, right? But right. it's unfortunate that in 2020, that is not a given. People right. are now fighting for the police not to kill them. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. It's a fear yeah. I don't have in my country and we came from apartheid. So I think apartheid was exactly what you guys are describing. When African-Americans talk about the aggression that the police have against them, I'm like, you see, that's what we had in apartheid. This is like until 1992. Right. But now, here in 2020, in a first world country, in the US, it's for me, is mind boggling. Yeah, but, but here's the thing. Mm. You know, I think, I don't know yeah. for sure, but I think that when Obama was president for eight years, you know, if there was ever a guy who was going to help sort of curb the, the wave of like police violence and actually make inroads in that, it, it would have been him. You know, our first black president grew up in, you know, Chicago and, and, and was, was a civic leader there and had his ear to the ground and knew, you know, the relationships between communities and police forces. Like I would have thought, he would have been the guy. And I don't know that we can say for sure that under Obama's eight years, mm. that police violence was any better. Like, has it gotten worse or have we just become more aware? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm glad we're more aware. And yeah. I don't think that Trump's response to it is helping no. at all. Yeah. But from a, from a strictly numeric standpoint, um, I don't know that like police violence was, was, was better under Obama. So, oh, I don't know, man. I, I understand absolutely the frustration of, of African Americans. And I think that that is the sole, like the, the most important issue that they're, they're voting on. Um, and I do believe that, that Biden will probably, you know, especially with the, the Biden Harris ticket, uh, do more work to, to curb that, but um, I don't know, man. I, I, I it's embarrassing. Like I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed right now. <laughs> that's how that's how every American I've spoken to feels. Like what the example that you've just made now about police brutality during one administration versus another reminds me of a conversation that we are having now in South Africa, where during apartheid, obviously, so the transition of apartheid came from. When, the, when, when South Africa was a British colony to when it was given to Afrikaans people and Afrikaans people ran it. And then they right. created a system of apartheid and then uh, the Group Areas Act, which means black people this way and then white people that way, and opportunities for white people only. And then that system was obviously uh, toppled over by the release of Nelson Mandela with our first democratic elections. Yeah. The group black people were allowed to vote, right? Mm -hmm. But then part of the peaceful, peaceful transition and treaty that our country, I mean, our government, which is the ANC government, uh, which is the majority government, because it's not only black people that voted for the ANC to come into power when Nelson Mandela was uh, elected as president. It's also white people as well. So I'm saying part of the, part of the uh, how do I put, part of the concession was to let everything that was in the past stay in the past. So you are not going to prosecute people that were working for arms of state, for example. Mm -hmm. Right, we're not going to prosecute politicians and put them in a kangaroo court because that would turn our country and give it civil unrest just like the rest of Africa did. So we decided to do a forgive and forget, but let's just move forward and start again, right? Yeah. But there was a lot of corruption, obviously, as there would be with any government where resources of the state were spent to other people and they kept those resources, but there was never a commission of inquiry. So now the debate is we've had four democratic, democratically elected presidents the last, time, the last one that we had before this one, 
was on a rampage for eight years and him and his friends and cronies were just looting state coffers. You know, they just went berserk, not even a joke. So the new president now instituted a state uh, uh, inquiry that looks into the corruption that took place. And bear in mind, they're all from the same political party, which mm. if you think about it, is unheard of because you think they'd cover for each other, but he didn't, you know, he wanted to do things the right way. And now people are saying, why is the persecution to black politicians, I mean, facing black politicians now and prosecution that is going to follow afterwards, you know? So I'm saying it's not persecution, it's just justice and how things should have been. And now people are saying, no, how come you've let the old government do what it did and no one ever held them to account? And I always say, it was a concession for us to have a peaceful transition. Yeah. You know, so that looting happened then. This right. that happens now when you're stealing from your own people. Right. You know, yes. so I mean, it's, it's a difference between knowing and not knowing. Right. And, and also the exposure to the fact is now that gives people the right to get in a soapbox and compare the two administrations. And I'm like, you can't compare the two. Right. Well, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. it seems like South Africa is a country of, of, you know, before Mandela and after Mandela. I mean, that Absolutely. it almost completely redrew itself and, and, you know, reshaped itself um, under his, under his leadership. And, you know, he was so noble and so forgiving uh, and, and gracious. And, you know, obviously like uh, one of the great heroes of, of the, of world history. Um, and so once he set the new tone, yes, the know, it, it was okay. We're now, we're now we are a true democracy and the going forward, you know, it, it's not going to be a, a precedent of forgiveness for everything. It's like, we're clean now and let's maintain this. So I'm, I'm glad to hear, you know, that there is some uh, accountability being, being held uh, that against, who was the, who was the president of the last uh, regime? Jacob Zuma. You mean the one, the, the one that the inquiry is about now, mostly? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jacob Zuma. Oh man, that guy was legendary. He was just, he was just our rock and roll president, who just did what he wants. If you guys think Trump is bad, we've had Trump before you guys. Did people, <laughs> did people like him? I mean, was he popular? Yeah, people, people loved him. You know, pe people loved him, and as time went on, they were like, "No, we don't like you anymore," because. Uh -huh. They started, <laughs> they started realizing what he was doing. So whenever, when, when he, he, he got to step down way before his term was over, mm -hmm. you know, because in our country, uh, the party leader, uh, if the party wins the elections, they become the presidential nominee. I mean, yeah, candidate. So it, that, it, that's, that's like a parliament. It's, um, it's almost like a, a prime minister. Yes. Almost, you, but, you, but you have a, a true president, don't you? Yes, we, no, we have a true president, but remember those parties that contest the elections. Right, so right. So in, in your country, you have Democrats and Republicans, you know, and then you have uh, undecideds in between. <laughs> but here we have, like in our ballot sheet, we have literally names and names and names of parties that elect the representative. Got so it. whichever party wins, they get to elect who they want to send out to become a president. But of course we know in advance because you obviously know they yeah, yeah, campaign trip. So what was unheard of was they actually took him out before time. Right? So he's he still, mm -hmm. still had another two years to go. But uh -huh. they were like, no, buddy, you have wow. to hit the road now. So he had to step down. And then this new president who was his deputy president and who worked closely with Nelson Mandela to write the constitution is now the president. And you know, we can see a lot of governance and steadiness in the in the helm now. So the deputy deputy president had two years left of the former president's uh, term. Will he have to run for re-election in yeah. two years, or did did the clock reset? Like, how does that work? Well, the two so the two years expired, and we voted him in anyway. Ah, so okay. He, he won, right? So he's. He's now, he was our president by default and then he became officially our, because people here love him. Big business yeah. loves him. The normal citizens love him. And obviously he handled coronavirus like a champ, you know? So right. we came up with uh, largely unscathed. So he's the president. He's a hybrid of 
I guess it's only a, it was only going to be a matter of time before we had a president like that, a guy who learned under Nelson Mandela and who also served under the most ridiculous president we've ever had. It was only bound to happen that he either becomes ultra corrupt or ultra noble. And he mm -hmm. happens to be the latter, you know, so we, we, are, we are happy with having him. So when mm -hmm. we're going to vote, we always, we had that one choice of, we know he's our guy and we're going to put him in power. So whenever I think of Americans right now, I'm like, so whenever you guys look at Biden, do you guys look at him as he's the guy who's going to take us out of the shitty place that some people that don't agree with Trump's policies find themselves in? Or he's just a better him than, than the other guy? I think most Democrats view him as a placeholder and yeah. a necessary change from the way things are. I think there is a, a tacit understanding that this is all uh, a setup for potentially Kamala to yeah. actually take over or, or in four years. Um, I think that it's a, it, you know, he's almost like a, just an interim president. If he wins, you know, he's, he's, he's said himself that he'll step down after four years. I don't think anyone has any faith that his brain will hold out. <laughs> um, Joe Rogan said it so well. He said that with Biden as president, it feels like going for a long walk in the woods with a flashlight whose batteries are dying. You just kind of like want to smack him in the head a couple times. Be like, no, we're good. Let's keep going. You know, um, <laughs> like everyone I've talked to, when, when you ask any Democrat about their belief, you know, their, their trust that Biden has their, his, his brain together, they just say like, well, he'll have people around him, you know, who can kind yeah. of keep him on course. And it's like, I just picture... I just picture like a kid with a with like a leash on him in a candy store, like getting get kept in the right aisle, you know, like, no, no, we're not going that way. You know, we're going, come on, come on now. Like, I don't know, man. It's, it's sad. It's so sad because we've, we've had great leaders. We've had very presentable, eloquent people. Yeah. Uh, again, I go back to, the Romney-Obama uh, election, or even the Rom even the Obama-McCain election, at you know that was at a time when McCain was wasn't too old yet, um, yeah. you know, and and you have you just like I, I I don't know how we ended up going from this youthful, energetic, yeah. handsome black president to an election with. Uh, to 75 years or, or older or white guys like who you know is this is this really the the representation of the country i mean i don't know you see, but you see what the being president did to obama it made him grow so old you know you look at yeah. the you look at him when he had swagger when he was still campaigning on the campaign trail and you look at him when he was saying goodbye you're like what the fuck? yeah but he got it back he got <laughs> it back you know, he's out there kite surfing with Richard Branson. He's buying up townhouses in Washington, D.C. He's on speaking tours. He's, you know, making millions of dollars. He's fine. Meanwhile, <laughs> Michelle is out selling out arenas, you know, who may be positioning herself for a run someday. Like, they're fine. They're probably having way more sex now. I... You know, the, 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 the kids are at Harvard, like they're smoking cigarettes. They're killing it. They're fine. They're fine. I'm, I love where they're at right now. I love anytime the Obamas show up in like TMZ, I'm just like, hell yeah. You know, way to reclaim your youth. You know what I always find funny is I always, elections always bring us people who are not in in the normal workforce, you know, who are not in the, in the world of waking up in the morning and going to the same place, it, it almost forces us two years before the elections to start having conversations with people that we talk at, that we never talk to. It feels like the audience is talking back to us. Yeah. Like whenever you, two years before the election, that year of the, of, of the election, you almost feel like you have to listen to an opinion 
or the opinion of a postman and a doctor and a retired general and, and an ex-Vietnamese, like, you know, but you're like, I don't want to hear your opinions. It's right. almost like the audience is hacking you all at the same time. And as yeah. a comic, I, I can't deal. You should just let me decide for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a very, that's a very uh, fair, you know, non, non-narcissistic point of view. Um, <laughs> no, I, dude, one thing you mentioned, you know, comedy, it's like, yeah, you know, I, you look back, you, walk, you look back at like old Bill Burr specials. Yes. And, you know, he, he's always done political commentary of some kind and was never afraid to, where, regardless of where he was performing, whether it was like, you know, in, in Seattle or California or, or Texas, um, he would be doing the same jokes about, about, you know, shitting on Republicans or shitting on Democrats or whatever. And I... I, I just don't see big comedians doing as much like they now everyone's just playing to their audiences. Yeah. And it, it may even be the case that like once we come out of this, that these comedians are, are, are only going to tour in states where they feel that their material will be welcome. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that that's like probably a limited point of view, but it, I wish that humor would at least remain more universally uh, accessible, you know, to, to people. Like we could still laugh across the aisle. You know what I find funny? We were talking uh, to Louis Black on Friday. Yeah, he's one of my favorites of all time. Oh, yeah? yeah. So we were, we were saying that there's nothing as genuine and as funny as anger. Like people don't come and watch stand up because we're having a good time. They come to hear us venting and they come to hear us telling them about how shitty their life is and how, but not obviously in that obvious way, but we come there not because we are having a good time in our lives. Right. We right. come there to express the anger that we are feeling and we get to share it with the audience and they get to laugh back and tell us that it's okay. They go through this frustration daily. We just mm-hmm. experience it every time we look at them, right? So I feel like we still, as comics, will always have a place, will always have a home. Because right. we always even have these conversations with each other. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine plumbers calling each other now and having a conversation about block drains? We're the only ones who have that power. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great point. Uh, you know, I, I, I agree with that. I, I feel like uh, comedians are... I, I just don't, oh, oh, so this is what I was going to say, sorry, to your point about, um, about anger being funny, I, I, some people are funny yeah. when they're angry, like Will Ferrell is hysterical angry, he's got that great angry voice, yes. um, Charlie Day would be another person who's very funny angry, I'm not funny angry, yeah. well, People get nervous when I try to be funny, angry. They're like, whoa, this guy, this guy's got demons. We're, this isn't a joke. You know, it's my whole life, like, my family would always tell me, like, well, why are you so angry? And I'd be like, I'm not angry, you know? And it just got worse. But I've always been sad that I am not funny, angry. Because I you think, know, yeah. Because you missed the brief, Francis. There's only two categories where you're allowed to be angry and funny at the same time. It's when you're old or when you're fat. Because people Ah, need a reference point for your anger. You know, people work with visuals. So when you walk on, they go, what do you have to be angry about? So once once people can challenge you, it's almost like a young comic trying to talk about relationships or a young comic trying to talk about kids. Right immediately if they haven't set up the audience enough to let them know who they are which in most cases they will never have the time the audience will never buy it initially but right. when a fat guy comes and go you know what sucks we go a lot of things but i'm sure you'll tell us one right now <laughs> when the old guy comes and goes you know what i hate they go you've lived a long time so you must hate a lot of stuff so tell us about it yeah. but when a blonde guy comes with six pack they go yeah Please yeah. tell us what happens, you please. I hate, just... I hate you already, you know, <laughs> change my mind, good luck. 
Um, dude, I, I, that's, that's every stage I walk up, every time I perform comedy, it's hostile. Like I've never had a receptive audience, <laughs> even if the five, you know, uh, people before me went up and just buttered them up. All of a sudden it's like, Oh, Oh no, this guy. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge. And I kind of, I kind of like that, you know, um, honestly. Every time, every time you go on stage, it almost feels like you're going into Vietnam. Yeah, you a little bit. In Saigon all the time. You just land in Guam for the first time with your boots full of water and it rains for 30 days. Is that how you feel every time? And you make it home? Does someone snatch your dog tag and, and, That's and right. take it home you and fold a flag? Or do you show up at home and go, you went there, man. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I've got I've got leeches in my Gucci slides. Um, but dude, it's it's funny, um, you know, because I think I think stand up right now, everyone's taking a beat, and 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 sort of considering like what's funny and what's not. I. I tried to do a bit about um, engagement rings and I was working on it for a while about, you know, wh where did it come from that a 28 year old guy is all of a sudden expected to come up with $20,000? Like how, how did we decide that he should have that money lying around at 26, 28, you know? Um, and people didn't like it. And I was pretty confident it was funny, but I just think people were like mad at me. They, they thought it was sexist coming from me. Yes. Um, whereas maybe some frumpy guy with patchy facial hair and, and, and <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, we don't expect you to have $28,000. You look like shit. You know, you need LASIK. That's what you should be spending your money on. You know, um, you, you know what you're, you, you should do what, uh, what people in government do whenever they want to get a contract to supply the government. They outsource. So you must always outsource your opinion. So it must never come from you. You must almost, and you must, whenever you put something that's real, you must always also put something that's relatable because humans can't take a raw shot of gin. They just want tonic with it. So for example, you go engagement rings, right? So if you just say engagement rings, fuck who needs them then people mm -hmm. go my mom was given one my dad gave my mom one i gave it to my fiance i'm actually so now you're making people go you are the crazy one here because yeah. you are actually denying us the one joy that we are going to have is having a spouse that we can tell our stories about our boss so what you yeah. must do is you must say isn't it weird that in all the places that you always have to put a down payment into something you take care of the place better, mm. right? So you go, I was renting an apartment. They asked me to put $20,000 deposit, but I knew that I was just buying time for me to buy my own place. So you go, isn't an engagement ring a down payment on, on being with someone? So it's almost like you have this landlord and then afterwards, when you go for the wedding or you get married, then you've bought the place. Now the place becomes your problem. Yeah. So when you put it, when you make any, any normal concept, when you make it abstract and you remove yourself, you outsource the pain and you make it with something that's relatable, people don't have a choice but to listen because people are naturally inquisitive and voyeuristic. So they want to understand what does an engagement ring have to do with an apartment? You go everywhere where I've had to take care of a thing before it took care of me. It was a down payment first. When wow. I worked out for my car, I had to get a down payment everywhere. So even with a partner, I have to put out a down payment because you can't just get married without being engaged. Right. You know, it's like people don't expect it to happen. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, this has been a very eye-opening moment for me where, where a joke that I worked on for six months, you just solved in three <laughs> seconds on the spot uh with great like philosophy and an, a lovely parallel to real estate out of just you know huh, i'll quit i should quit i guess <laughs> so much for this what am i doing what am i doing here 
Why am I doing this still? I'm better at other things. You know what it is? It's a simple fact of we are the only guys who can do this. I don't feel like I'm a guy who can do this after what just happened. (laughs) You know, it's funny. You mentioned that I've become very nostalgic about things that were not that long ago. Because you're Um, over 30. Yeah, but like I'm talking about, I'm talking about, I've become nostalgic for like seven months ago. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I, I was, I was thinking, I was thinking last weekend about um, just, just like Friday nights and what they used to mean where like, and how it's like, oh, you know, people are coming over. We're going to set up the beer pong table and like, you know, play a few games and then someone's going to be like, yo, my, my Coke guy's on the way. Who, who wants a bag? And you're like, well, you know, I'll, I'll take one. And then it would take like four hours for him to get there and you'd have to go downstairs and get in the back of his car, which was always way too nice. And you're like, how'd you get this? Oh, you bought it with cash. That makes sense. Um, and then you'd circle the block while the, the dealer like told you about how this was only a temporary moment in his life and he's saving up a little side money to invest in a line of gyms. And you're like, ah, that's cool. And he, he would like ask you if you wanted to be an investor with him. And you're like, I don't really know you that well. And you're a drug dealer, so no. Um, and then you'd take the cocaine back up and everyone would be excited. You were back in the apartment and, and, uh, and you'd like take a mirror off the wall, which would bring the beer pong game to a screeching halt. And, and <laughs> everyone, everyone intended to go to the bar at like 1230, but that kept getting pushed. And all of a sudden it's 5 a.m. and you've been grinding your teeth to a nub. And uh, your dentist is like, yo, do you grind your teeth when you sleep at night? You need a night guard. And you're like, yeah, that, that's it. Um, and uh, and that, those, were, those were Friday nights. And those were fun. That was Friday. Now, now Friday, Friday is like the worst night of the week now. And I, 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 don't, I, don't, know, I don't know it any different from like, you know, from Monday or something, there's just nothing. It's all one mass of like, what, what next? You see, what you've just done there is a stroke of genius because you, you managed to pull me in with Friday and nostalgia. So yeah. you went nostalgic and I still thought you were like just being, uh, you had, when you hit the nostalgia and put a time to it and then you, you, you went back into time. So you, you told the story backwards. So yeah, but let me let me pause you for a second. If you're about to go through what I just said and show me how it could be a hundred no, no. times funnier, I'm gonna fucking kill myself. Okay, I'm barely holding on here, dude. So <laughs> I appreciate how well you see the ball from a bird's eye view, but I can't handle it right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I get it. You're playing chess. I am playing Connect Four. Okay. Oh man, I was, uh, I was like, I was actually gonna say you didn't need my previous advice because you just nailed it. You just made it so relatable, and you made me. You you took me into your apartment with what you and your friends get up to. You put me in the backseat of your dealer's uh, car. You put me in your dentist's office. You took me around. You you just took yeah. me on this. Like, and I'm like, that shit is funny. That. Do you understand that that's a short film? <laughs> I, I agree. This is the, from the, in the words of Casablanca, the, the beginning of a beautiful friendship. This is great. Watch, <laughs> us, watch us get together, though, in person and, and fucking hate each other, though. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like a Tinder date. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't know you looked like that. Uh, <laughs> something, something gross. I don't know what it would be. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! I don't know if Josh told you. <laughs> uh, we have a segment here on our podcast where our guest has to tell us the most ridiculous thing that has ever happened to them. You know, a story that even if they told us it wasn't, you know, it, it, it's so ridiculous that they not even if they try to make it up, they wouldn't be able to. The crazy story that happened to them. Do you have one of those? Do you have something that has ever happened to you where you feel like, let me think, let me think about it. Um, Let me think about it. I, I, uh, you know, I, my, my mind goes to, um, my mind goes to, uh, there was a guy who broke into my apartment 
um, when I first moved in here. And it was like, I'd only been living here for two months and I was asleep and he was like rummaging around in my bureau, in my like sock drawer and stuff. And I opened the door to the bedroom, but I, I sleep naked. So I didn't have any clothes to put on to confront this home invader. And so I was like, I'm, I'm terrified for my life, but I'm also like, is he going to judge my body right now? Like, you know, I, I had that thought. And so I kept, I have a sliding door to like the one you saw. And I, I kept my head behind it. And I was like, you know, cause I was, I was self-conscious with, with a home invader. Um, and I was like, what are you doing here? And he goes, Oh, I'm, I'm lost. And I was like, get out of here. I'm, I'm calling the, you know, the police. What are you doing? And he was like, chill out, man. <laughs> and then he, he walked out and I, I ran upstairs because I knew he was going to come up the elevator and then leave on the street level. I live in like a, on the garden floor apartment, like below ground almost. And um, so I ran up and as he came out of the elevator, I took a picture of him for like evidence. And by this point, I had put on a pair of basketball shorts or something quickly. And he was like, don't take pictures of me. Why are you taking pictures of me? And I was like, get the fuck out of here. This is so weird. So then he leaves and I called the, I called 911. And uh, I never call 911, you know? Like I've never, it was, it was so wild that it worked. Like it worked immediately. Um, they're like, 911, what's your, and I was like, oh, I, I, I've, I've heard of this. <laughs> you know, I've heard this in movies. Like, this is crazy. And I was like, someone broke in my home, uh, yada, yada, told the story. And I remember the woman being like, you know, can you describe him, height, like race? And I was like, ah, you know, I don't, could you just like list a bunch of races and I'll call them <laughs> on the right one. Um, <laughs> and then they, they, like five minutes later, the NYPD showed up at my door and it was like, it was probably like 3 a.m. on a Sunday night. So I just feel like there wasn't a lot going on for them because I'm not kidding you, 20 police officers showed up and they were all outside and like three of them came in and I was like, blah, 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 telling them the story. And then they got a radio call saying they, someone had picked a guy up. And so they asked me if I could come outside to identify the guy. And so, but they weren't allowed to be like, yo, was the guy you saw wearing this, this, and this? Because I guess that's like, you're that's tipping. Like yeah. yeah, yes, exactly. They're, they're leading me. So I came out and I was like, yeah, that's him. No brainer. And, and I even had the picture to like match up with it. So they had arrested him. They caught him. And it turned out that he had like stuffed a bunch of um, sort of like personal documents that I had, like healthcare forms, tax documents that I had in a drawer upstairs. And he had stuffed them all into his pants. And he was like stealing or selling identities, um, which is actually really scary. Like the implications for that, you know, I would much rather that he had taken like a, an iPad or something. So um, I then had to testify in front of the grand jury. And I know this is like a longer story than you bargained oh, for. Oh no, go ahead. <laughs> um, but I had to testify in front of the grand jury. And this is when I was working at, I used to work at a company called Barstool Sports, which is like a, a sports media comedy company. And I had a radio show. And so like the, the next day, you know, I went in, I wrote a blog about the story. I was tweeting about it. I told the story on my radio show. Uh, I was even posting like Instagram jokes about it. And I, sure enough, I wrote like five minutes of material on it. There we go. And, <laughs> But by the time that I went in to the district attorney's office to prep for the, the grand jury trial, the DA who was prosecuting the case sat me down and she said, listen, I've become aware 
that you're a comedian and I've become aware of your social media presence. And every time you talk about this on your Twitter, your Instagram, your radio show, I have to turn that over to the defense as evidence. Not only is it like exhausting to have to keep up with how much you're talking about this, but it's becoming very difficult to paint you as a victim in this case because of how funny the things you're saying are. And I was like, thank you very much. I take pride in that. Um, and uh, so she like asked me to stop talking about it. I, I had to testify in front of the grand jury. And uh, I think because of how much shit I had said about it, the guy got off um, and nothing happened to him. So, you know, it was a question of like, was it worth, the tweets and the material because I'm pretty sure he's out there like planning to fucking kill me at this point. <laughs> and now that he knows you sleep naked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's like, that's one of the, the more ridiculous things that's happened to me. <laughs> that's 